You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. It's good to, uh, to be back. I want to uh, thank you all for your prayers. And if you're visiting today and didn't know... Um, on February the 16th, I had received a phone call while I was here at the church building um, that my mom had had a bad fall. She's 86 years old. She had been struggling with dementia for a number of years and in uh, misunderstanding without getting help. She fell and hit her head, uh, which caused a um, hemorrhage in her brain, which led to a coma. And um, a week later, she passed away. And during the last five weeks, the church has given me time to be with my dad, to plan the memorial service, and to, to be with my family, and to have some time to grieve and to mourn. And as you know, uh, the mourning process is not something that happens in a day or a week or a month, and maybe not even a year. It's something that will take time. And for me, this is the first time that I've experienced the death of anyone this close, as my father's still alive and as I'm an only child. And so God has so blessed me um, to be able to know that though I am an only child, I have lots and lots of brothers and sisters in Christ. And your love for me and the church's love for me has meant so much during this time so that I would be able to spend some time with my family and, and do all the things that were necessary for last Sunday, which is when we had the memorial service. And then on Monday, we buried my mom. And during that time, um, we are placing our hope in, in mom's very small and simple faith in Jesus. Um, that because of that faith and because of her testimony of faith, that we could have hope that my mom is with God. That her life on earth was only a portion of her real life. And that now she is in eternal life. And now she is in heaven. And this week, as we, we come into Holy Week... It, it begs the question to me and to my heart, do I really believe this? Do I really believe this? I mean, why do we believe that, that somebody after they die would go to heaven? What, what do we have here on earth that, that gives us any reason to have real hope? Um, when I was a brand new Christian, um, my mother's mother, my grandmother, was very sick with cancer. And then she passed away. I was a brand new Christian, and I remember my pastor saying to me, Curtis, these are times that test our faith, and we have to trust in Jesus. These are times that test our faith, and we have to trust in Jesus. I was reminded of that over the last month, that this was a time that tests my faith, and that I have to believe in Jesus. But, but how can I believe in Jesus? I mean, what is there about Jesus? How do I know that I'm not just being superstitious? Or how do I know that, that what Jesus says is real? How do I know that I can really place my trust in Jesus? And what I've gone back to over and over again is that Jesus is who he says he is. In this world, a lot of people respect Jesus. They see him as, you know, as a great leader. They see him maybe as a radical or, or they see him as a prophet or they, they see him as a teacher or a philosopher or a really, really good person. But I'm reminded that the Bible only gives us one option for Jesus, and that is that he is God and that he is God in the flesh. 
And that the hope that I have and the hope that you have and the hope that we would have for anybody who proclaims faith in Jesus is that because they know Jesus, they are with Jesus when they leave this world. That they have a genuine relationship with Jesus, that they they truly and honestly know him. Now, what can we place our faith in? What can we place it in? I believe we can place it in the very fact that God came to earth and showed us who he's like in Jesus. Now, we have to believe this. Now, a lot of people don't believe in Jesus in the sense that he's a savior, or he's Messiah, or he is God. But they do believe that Jesus lived. I don't think there's too many people who don't believe that there was a real person named Jesus. And when um, last year um, I got to go to Israel, or two years ago, I got to go to Israel, and I got to see the places where Jesus lived. I got to see the places where Jesus was. And so we begin here by understanding that Jesus is a historical person. And so if you're looking at the map here, there's Bethlehem where Jesus was born, and then there's Nazareth where Jesus was raised. And Jesus lived in Nazareth and grew up there, and then he began at about the age of 30 to begin to teach. Well, he was baptized around down here, around by Jericho, And then he went into the desert for 40 days, somewhere around here. And then he worked his way back to Nazareth, where he began to teach and preach. But he was rejected there. And he was rejected by the people. And so he left Nazareth. And then he went over to the area here of Galilee. And he pretty much began and kept to his ministry there in Galilee, going back and forth at times to do ministry. But as we come into the final week of his life, he's here in Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem, and he is now ready to do the work that he came to do on the cross. And so as we look at a map here of Jerusalem, what we see here is the holy city is here, Jerusalem, and here is the temple, and now the temple is no longer there. The temple was destroyed about 70 AD by the Romans when they sacked Jerusalem, and it has since been replaced by a big mosque, a Muslim mosque. But in Jesus' last uh, week of life, he was here in Bethany, and he did a great miracle in raising Lazarus from the dead. And this miracle just continued to bring Jesus fame, um, and people were following him. And so he was working his way through Bethphage and then down to the enter into Jerusalem. And here is the Mount of Olives. And here is where Jesus would have seen the temple. Here is a valley, a Kidron Valley, and there's a lot of hills around Jerusalem. And so this next picture shows us the Mount of Olives. So here is the Mount of Olives. So if we go back right here is the Mount of Olives. So looking at the Mount of Olives um, from up here is where Jesus would have been looking at Jerusalem. Now today, um, people still celebrate uh, Palm Sunday, and you can see the people there celebrating Palm Sunday, the palms. They are on um, the Mount of Olives. This picture is taken from the Mount of Olives. And you can see the mosque here, the Dome of the Rock. That's where the temple originally stood. So Jesus would have seen the temple at that time. But it is here that Jesus would have been looking over the city, and he was beginning to weep over the city because of their sins and because he knew that they were going to reject him, but he had come to be their Messiah. He had come to be their leader. Now, I share this with you because I truly believe that we all agree that there was a man whose name is Jesus, who we know as Jesus Christ, who lived. But what's so important is do we believe that what he said is true? 
We can believe that he lived. We can know all the facts. We could even know truth. But until it becomes faith in our hearts, until God's grace works in our hearts, and we see this relationship with Jesus, then that's when we begin to experience it. And and that's when we begin to know it. And that's the hope that I would have for myself, or I would have for you, or I would have for my mom, is that there was a relationship established with the living God. A relationship established with Jesus Christ who came. And Jesus himself told us this. He said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. And the word that I sort of want to focus there is the last word, me. Because me is a person. Me is not just what I read about in a book. And Jesus is saying that you could read the scriptures and you think that they talk about about eternal life. And in fact, they do. But until you know me, until you know who I truly am, you don't possess eternal life. You don't truly possess a relationship. And so this morning, I want us to think about this Holy Week as we go through the scriptures. You can open up your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and I'm going to begin by reading verses 12 through 19. And we're going to go through this passage, John 12, 12 through 36. We're going to see who Jesus really is and how we can really know him and what it means to this world to be confronted with the holy God. And so in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, the Bible says this. The next day... The great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look. How the whole world has gone after him. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And as we read here, he had performed this miracle in Bethany. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. People knew Lazarus was dead. He'd been in the grave for four days. They knew a great miracle had happened. They'd heard his name. And so they all came to Jerusalem. They came for the time of the festival of the Passover, and they took palm branches, and there were this amazing parade, and Jesus was coming in as king, and they, they were beginning to call him out in such a way, saying, Hosanna. But Jesus doesn't come as a king of the world. He comes as a humble king. And what's so interesting is that as we look into this passage, it's not that people really understood Jesus at first, and a lot of times that's true for you and me too. That when we begin to think about Jesus, we don't fully understand him. We're attracted to him. There were three great groups of people here that were attracted to Jesus. There were the crowds, there were his followers, his disciples, and there were his enemies. These three groups of people were all very attracted to Jesus for very different reasons. But none of them, none of them expected him to come in humbly. None of them expected him to come in on a coat 
instead of a horse. A horse would have meant that he would come in as a soldier. He would come in as one who would rule. He would come in as one who would reign. But coming in on a donkey meant he was coming in as a man of peace. When Solomon was inaugurated as king, he entered into his inauguration on a donkey. He is a king of peace. God is telling us here that Jesus comes and he confounds our expectations. He confounds the people's expectations. They had thought that he was going to become their human king. So they said, Hosanna, which means, God, save us now. Save us now. Save us from what? They really weren't thinking of their sins. They were thinking of the Romans. Save us from the oppression that's happening in this world. Save us from our problems. Now, if I was honest, and I will be honest, I think a lot of times that's what I want Jesus to do for me. I want him to save me from my problems. And that's what these people expected. He want, they wanted Jesus to save them from the oppression of the Romans. They wanted him to save them from the things like disease and illness, even death. They wanted to see the miracles of Jesus. Now, they knew that he was special. Now, they may not have even known this, and God was superseding everything, but they said, he who comes in the name of the Lord, they are quoting scriptures. They are quoting from the Psalms, and they're quoting from Zechariah, as they see, or Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies of Zechariah, as he comes into Jerusalem. And they are proclaiming him as a king, but they don't fully understand what this means. They don't understand that he's coming in not as a king to rule like a human king, but coming in as a humble king. And so he confounds the people's expectations. They wanted him to continue to raise people from the dead. They did not know or understand or anticipate that he had come in to die himself. We get confounded by Jesus, but we should not be discouraged in pursuing him still. In fact, the fact that we don't understand Jesus can be an invitation to us to understand him even more. Why? Well, we can learn this from his disciples. We can learn this from Jesus himself. In Philippians chapter 2, 8, 9, it says, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him. Where God has highly exalted exalted him. God wants us to know that he continues to love us. He continues to be with us. He continues to help us. But God wants us to know that at times we won't fully understand what all of that means. The Bible tells us very simply there that at first, verse 16, at first his disciples did not understand all this. They didn't understand all that Jesus was doing. They didn't understand what we just read about in Philippians, that he was humbling himself and that he had to die and that later he would be exalted. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to be one who would give up his life so that they could have life. And how disconcerting it was to see that their, their, their friend, their God, their Savior, would be crucified, would be bloodied, on Good Friday. Jesus confounds the disciples' logic. He confounds the disciples' understanding. But he also confounds the enemy's plans. In verse 19, 
The Bible says that, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now, they were exaggerating because the whole world hadn't gone after Jesus. It was just a large group of people that had, and they didn't even understand Jesus. But these religious leaders, these Pharisees, They had a plan. In Mark chapter 14, it says that they, the Pharisees, were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast. This is the feast that they're at now. They said, or the people may riot. See, all these people were worshiping Jesus. All these people were proclaiming him as king. And so the enemies of Jesus knew this was not a good time for us to try to arrest Jesus. It would cause problems for them. They didn't want to go against the populace. But their plans were thwarted by Jesus. He confounds them by coming in humbly. He confounds them by literally coming in of his own accord. Jesus is controlling the situation. No one is forcing Jesus into Jerusalem. He knows his hour has come. He knows his time is here. And so he chooses to go into Jerusalem at time of Passover when the Passover lamb would be sacrificed. And so Jesus is in control of all circumstances. He's in control of all the plans. He's in control of what the people's ideas are of him. He's in control of his disciples' ideas of him. He's in control of what the enemy's ideas are of him. He has his plans and he will fulfill them. He will do the same in our lives. There are times when we are confounded of what's happening in our lives. We, we pursue God, we pursue Jesus, and things maybe just don't go the way we want them to go. But God still has a plan. God has a plan that he's working out. God has something good that he's working out. We don't understand, and sometimes it, in, it incorporates a lot of suffering. It incorporates even death. But this is who Jesus is. He's a humble king. But not only is he a humble king, Jesus is a dying king. Jesus is the dying Savior, but he reproduces life in his death. Follow along with me as I read verses 20 through 26. The Bible says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And so we hear, we have Jesus here entering into Jerusalem. He is with all of his disciples. He's with his friends. And then there's a group of Greek proselytes. These are Gentiles. These are people who aren't Jews. But these are people who believed in Jesus as the Messiah. They believed in Jesus as the one who could help them and save them and bring them into relationship with God. And so they want to see Jesus. They want to meet Jesus. They want to talk to Jesus. So they do what any of us would do. They go to Jesus' right-hand man. They go to his disciples. And they say, we want to see Jesus. And we would expect that Jesus would say, okay, let them come and see me. 
But it's really interesting because Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he, he, he has something else to say. It says in verse 20, 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's very interesting. Is that people had come to see Jesus, but instead of Jesus going out to see them, what he says is they're coming signals something. They're coming to me signal something bigger than even what they could get by me just talking to them. And that is that I've come for the whole world. See, these are Gentiles united with Jews now. I believe that it is very symbolic of what Jesus had come to do here in Jerusalem was to bring all people together. To bring all the people together so that God would be able to save them. God would be able to bring them together. Even today in Jerusalem, Jews, Christians, and Muslims all live together within the walls of Jerusalem. And God loves all of them. And God loves the whole world. And here Jesus is saying, I have come for the whole world. I have come so that people in every place of life might be saved. This is the hour. This is the hour for me, the Son of Man, to give of my life and to die. We look back again at Philippians chapter 2, 8 and 9. Would you read it out loud with me? Let's say it together. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him. Jesus is going to die so that he would be exalted. But Jesus is going to die also, as it says there, that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it only remains one. It only remains one. Now, that was a good one because Jesus is one. But Jesus is willing to die. Why? Because it says that, but if he dies, if Jesus dies, it produces many seeds. It reproduces many more lives. Jesus died so that you and I would be part of that production and that reproduction of seeds. And Jesus died for you and for me. And if we know him, then we too are to die to ourselves so that we can be a dying seed that produces life for others as well. In your bulletin, you have a, um, a little brochure called Come Alive. And the purpose of that brochure is for you to read it. It's a, it's, it teaches about the meaning of Holy Week. But it's also an invitation you can use to invite your friends and your family to join us here on Good Friday service, on Sunrise service, or on Easter service next weekend. And we have a lot of extra ones out in the uh, lobby, and you can pick up more for your friends there. But this is why Jesus has called you and me into this place. It's not just so that you and I get well fed and you and I have a good time and we get to stay with our friends. But this is a place for us to come so that we would be nurtured and we would be encouraged to go out into the world. To share the love that as our dying Savior died so that many lives would be reproduced and we are the beneficiaries of that. That we would be like our Savior and that we would share his life with other people. That our lives would be reproductions of other lives. Many years ago, I, I, when I became a Christian, I had this dream. And um, I, it's the first dream I remember having that was so clear in my life. And I dreamed that um, I had shared something with my dad, and he had become a Christian. And, um, and I just remember this picture. My dad had this angelic look on his face. And back then, doing this was really big. Does anybody know what this means? 
one way. So during the Jesus movement, um, this was the sign of one way, meaning Jesus is the one way. And so I had this dream of my father, and this is, you know, like over 40 years ago, uh, but I had this dream, and my dad's doing this, and he's just like, he has this angelic look on his face. And I knew that in my dream, my dad had become a Christian. When I first became a Christian, there was no person I wanted more to know Jesus than my dad. And so there were times that I would talk to him about Jesus, and I would talk to mom with him about Jesus. And, and I remember a time that I had shared with them about Jesus, and they prayed with me to receive the Lord. Now, now I say that's, that's very important, but remember, just saying a prayer doesn't make us a Christian. It's the faith that we have in that prayer that makes us Christians. It's the faith that we have. And so I remember sharing that with my parents and, and sharing that. But over the years, my dad gradually began to know more and more about Jesus. I asked my mom about her faith. I said, Mom, did, you know, was there a time in your life that, that you really knew who Jesus was? And she said, yes, when I was a little girl. And, and I had gone to church. And, and with this past week at, at her memorial service, um, I was given by the church secretary at the church in San Diego. This is the church where my mom grew up. They actually had the records of her baptism and her confession of faith, which was back in 1951 when she was 19 years old. And again, you know, this is not proof. You don't sign something and that gives you a ticket to heaven. But that is the hope that I have. Is that my mom confessed her faith. My mom confessed that Jesus is Lord and she was baptized. And she declared her faith to the world in her baptism. And we're going to have baptisms, as Steve said to us. We're going to have a baptism class and a membership class at the end of the month of April. And if you haven't been baptized, I invite you to join us for that class. I think the date's April 22nd, April 29th, um, the last two, two, two Sundays of the month. If you've never been baptized, to come to this class and learn about baptism. It's not, you don't have to be baptized if you go to the class, because we want you to be. But this is a way for you to learn more about baptism. But it's also a testimony of your faith. For just as my mom, when she was baptized and she confessed her faith, she became a member of the church. As you became part of a believing community. And this is what I would want for you as well. And so if you're not a member of our church, this is an opportunity for you to learn more about our church, to learn a little bit about its history, but to more importantly know about its statement of faith, know what we believe, and know how you can become more active in the life of this body and grow as a Christian. And so this is what's so important, because this is why Jesus died to reproduce us so that we have life, so we can be part of a community that goes out into the world, that shares our faith, that helps people to know about Jesus. And it is confounding to the world. But Jesus understands what all of us go through. Life itself is confounding. And maybe one of the most confounding things of life is suffering. Why do we suffer? Why, if there's a good God, does he allow us to suffer so deeply? And then we remember that God suffered himself. He knowingly came into this world to suffer. And so Jesus is the suffering son who glorifies his father. Follow with me as I read verses 27 through 34 of John 12. Now my soul is troubled. 
And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said that to show the kind of death he was going to die, the crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus referred to himself most often as the Son of Man, meaning that he was the one who had come as the Son of God in the form of perfect man, being perfect God and perfect man. And therefore, as man, being able now to take on our sins, to take on our suffering, to take on our penalty. After Jesus had risen from the dead, remember earlier it said that the disciples did not understand. It wasn't until after he had risen from the dead that they understood. And the beginning of that happened with two of the disciples who were on the way to a road called called Emmaus. And they were on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus was walking with them on the road. And if you knew the, know the story, they didn't recognize Jesus. But Jesus was teaching them. Jesus was beginning to open their minds so that they could understand that he had to suffer. And so he says to the two on the way to Emmaus, Did not the Christ have to suffer those things and then enter his glory? That suffering preceded glory, and Jesus knew that. In our own lives, suffering precedes glory. We are in a time of suffering in our lives. But there is a time of promise that God says there's glory that's going to come after that. It's the way of God. The disciples, these two disciples, recognized Jesus when Jesus opened up their eyes. And they got so excited. They went back to go see the other 11 disciples. And they went back there and they were telling them about Jesus. And then Jesus appeared in the midst of them. And in verse 46 and um, 47, it says, He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so beginning here in Jerusalem, Jesus was going to spread out through the whole world this message that suffering precedes glory. When you have a loved one who dies, you suffer. And I'm an only child, and so I'm, I'm very close to my father. And uh, so we went through this week together. We went through this month together. And a couple weeks ago, I was talking to dad, and I was talking to him about God and about Jesus. And over the years, I've seen his face grow a little bit at a time. But actually, it's been in the last four or five years that I've seen it grow the most, and he's 90 years old now. And we were talking about God, and I was just using this little booklet to talk to him about Jesus, and it talked about Jesus' death on the cross, and it talked about Jesus' resurrection. And I just said, Dad, you know, where, where are you right now with God? You know, where are you right now with Jesus? And he just pointed to the booklet, which was full of scriptures, and he says, that is what I believe. That is what I believe. And that is what he holds on to. 
And as he reads about Jesus each day, I gave him this little devotional book that talks about Jesus. And he held it to his heart and he said, I will read this with all my heart every day. And it just means so much to me to know that, that my dad has faith in Jesus. That it's carrying him through the death of his spouse after 63 years. And the hope is that suffering will lead to glory. And that though all of us will die someday, we have this hope because Jesus says that in verse 32, and when I am lifted up from the earth. It has two meanings there for us. The lifted up meanings that Jesus was lifted up from the earth on the cross. He was lifted up from the earth on his suffering and he brought glory to God by doing that because he paid for the sins of all of the world. He did it for you and for me. But it also means he was lifted up into glory after that after he had risen from the dead and after he had been on the earth for a while and he was lifted back and he ascended into glory. This was the glory that God had promised to him. This is the glory that he knew. This was the glory that gave him great joy even as he was headed to the cross knowing that he was going to return to his father. He was going to return to his God. He was going to return to heaven. He knew that after suffering, there would be glory. But for that to happen as a son, he had to obey the father. And that is what he did. He did that for you and for me. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus faced the darkness. Jesus faced the darkness. Jesus is a darkness killer. He kills the darkness, and then he, as the light, makes us children of light. In verses 35 and 36, the Bible says, And Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while. Walk while you have the light. Before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light. So that you may become children of light. And Jesus is a darkness killer. Last night in our small group we were looking in Isaiah chapter 6. And, and it was also talking about the darkness in the world. And one of the questions was, have you ever been in a place of just total darkness? I mean, where there's absolutely no light. Absolutely no light. You can't see your hand in front of you. You can't see anything. And we were reminded that in those times we become disoriented. And if it goes on too long, it said, we'll even become insane. Because our, our senses are needing some kind of stimulation. We are looking for light to help us, to get us through this darkness. And if it remains dark, we become disoriented. We have fear. And as children, right, we're afraid of the dark. And Jesus says that he was going to face the darkness. In John, in the beginning, it says that when Jesus came into the world, men rejected him. Why? Because they loved the darkness. They didn't want the light. But to those who came to Jesus, he dispelled the darkness. He defeated the darkness. He killed the darkness. And he kills the darkness in our own light, life. Because he is the light of the world. In John chapter 8, verse 12, would you read this together? Let's say it out loud. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We will not just have the light of life. We will be the light in the world. Jesus makes us children of light. Believe in the light, Jesus says in verse 36, while you have the light. And right now we have the light. 
we have the light of Jesus. And he says, believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. God wants to make you light. God wants to use us as light. God wants us to have light in the midst of darkness. God wants us to know that even though we live in a dark world, and this we know, we live in a very dark world, but there is light, and Jesus is the light. But we too are the light. God calls us to live as light. I want to go back to what my pastor said to me when when my mom's mom or my grandma passed away. He said, these are times that test our faith and we have to trust in Jesus. Is that the time of your life right now? Is this the time in your life where your faith is being tested and you must have a trust in Jesus? Or is this a time right now in your life that you recognize that you really want to have Jesus in your life? This is a time then of salvation for you. And this is why Jesus came, so that many seeds would grow. And he wants you to grow as one of his children. He wants you to be the fruit of his death that turned into resurrection life. Today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. You can turn your life over to Jesus. Many of us here are already Christians. And if we are, then this is God's call to you and to me, this one. And that is he wants us to be light and to witness his light to the world. This is the greatest thing that we can do as light is to shed that light in this very dark world. And you know people who aren't Christians. You know family members who don't yet know Jesus. You know people who need the light of life. And you have the light of life if you're a believer. And so you have not only, you know, I mean, it's great to have these, these, um, these flyers and these tracks to go with you, but you are the living life to spend time with people and to share with them and to love them and to, to be with them. Because this is what our faith is about. It's about sharing life together. And it's about witnessing so that other people can know this life. That's why baptism is so important because it's a testimony of our life and our light. It's a testimony of who we are as the body of Christ. It's who we are as Jesus himself went into the baptism waters so that he would come up as our representative. He didn't need to be baptized. He didn't need to be baptized because he had no sin, but because he's our representative, he was baptized as we need to be so that he would be able to say he's done all things as we would have done. And he has saved us from our sins. He has washed us from our sins. He has risen from the dead. Jesus kills darkness. And if there's darkness in your life and there's places of darkness, as I know, the darkness continues to assail into my life, that I need the light of life. I need the light of Jesus. And this is why I know that I can know Jesus by faith. That he is who he says he is. And you can trust that. That yes, he is a historical figure who lived in the Holy Land. But more than that, he is God who created this world. 
He is God who came to this world. He is God who died. He is God who rose again. And he is God who lives above this world and who loves you and who loves me and who loves us and who brings us into this place so that we can know him daily and know his love and walk with him. Because life is hard and life is challenging. But God is good and God is present and God will help us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father.